Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. This is episode 25, and today we're going to be talking about relationships, how we've experienced them, and how do they fit within the mission of God. Let's do this! All right, thank you guys so much for tuning in today to our episodes. And today we're going to be talking about relationships. We got a really special guest for you guys today. Today we have Dr. Gary Chapman, hailing from North Carolina. And many of you guys know him as a pastor, international speaker, and author of numerous books and articles on the topic of relationships, most notably the Five Love Languages series of books. I know these books have definitely helped shape countless number of relationships. Welcome to the podcast, and welcome to Toronto. How are you? Well, thank you, John. I'm doing great. <laughs> so, in getting ready for today, I discovered you were born in China Grove, North Carolina. Is that correct? That is correct. I think if you're from China Grove, that kind of makes you Chinese. <laughs> yeah, I'm so which kinda, is I'm a great Chinese. <laughs> yeah, it makes you a great fit for this podcast, which is great. And I have been to China, so <laughs> hey, there that's, you that's go. more than me. <laughs> that's more than you. <laughs> Joining us today, we also have Paul Lin. He's going to be a guest host today, and Paul has been part of the Missional Conversation Group we've been talking about for many years, and he's coming in and just jumping into this episode. So yes, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be here, John. Yes, yes. All right. Hey, speaking along the lines of Chinese and stuff, in your book, you said, emotional love language and the language of your spouse may be as different as Chinese from English. If you only express love in English and your spouse understands only in Chinese, you will never understand how to love each other. So since you talked about it in your book, you're from China Grove, this is a perfect fit for our podcast. Now, in speaking about your book, one of the reasons I think it is so impactful is because it really gives a practicality to giving and receiving love. It's easy just to promise to love one another, but you describe it in such tangible and relatable ways. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Would you be able to share with our listeners a little bit about your journey of understanding the five love languages? Where did it start? Well, you know, John, it really grew out of my counseling. I've been uh, counseling for over 40 years now, uh, focusing primarily on marriage and family. And the love language concept grew out of my counseling. Never forget the first time I encountered this reality that what makes one person feel loved doesn't make another person feel alive. Right. They sat down. I didn't know them. First time I'd ever met them. Found out they'd been married to each other for 30 years. And uh, the wife said, now, Dr. Chapman, let me just tell you uh, a little bit about us before we start. She says, we don't argue. We don't have money problems. And she went on with a whole bunch of positive things. And then she started crying. She said, but the real problem is I just don't feel any love coming from him. Mm. She said, we're like two roommates living in the same house. He does his thing and I do my thing. And I just don't feel any love. I feel empty inside. Well, I looked at him, and he said, I don't understand her. You know, I do this and this. He said, I wash the dishes for her after dinner. He said, some nights I actually help her cook. He said, I vacuum the floors. He said, I change the baby's diaper. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I, on Saturdays, I wash the car and I mow the grass. I do all of these things, and she says she doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. I looked back at her, and she started crying again. And she said, Dr. Chapman, he's right. He's a hardworking man, but we don't ever talk. 
Mm. We haven't talked in 20 years. She right. said, he's always mowing the grass, washing the dishes, doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even around. Yes. So that's when I first realized that. And after that, I heard similar stories over and over in my office. And I knew there had to be a pattern to what I was hearing. So what I did eventually was to sit down and read several years of notes that I made when mm. I was counseling people and ask myself the question, when someone sat in my office and said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories, and I later called them the five love languages. So that's where they came from. And in the last couple of decades, after having written that book, what have you learned over the years of speaking about the five love languages, speaking to others about relationships? Would you say you've gotten new insight about relationships or have they pretty much confirmed what you have written about? Well, I think, first of all, the fact that the book has sold over 12 million copies in English and been translated in 50 languages around the world wow. says to me that the deepest emotional need we have is the need to feel loved. Right. So that book has helped people meet that emotional need in an effective manner. You know, it's one thing to love a person it's another person for them to feel loved. So the question is not, you know, do you love somebody? The question is, do they feel loved? And if you're speaking your own language and not their language, then they're not getting it. And so that's what's been encouraging. Now, I, I tell you what surprised me most sure. is the fact that it was translated and published in other languages. Because my, my academic background, before I studied counseling and theology, uh, was anthropology, the study of cultures. I did an undergrad and a master's degree in anthropology. And I'm very sensitive to cultural differences. So when the first publisher came, it happened to be Spanish, and they said, you know, we, we want to publish the book. My publisher said, what do you think about that? I said, well, I don't know. Does this work in Spanish? You know? <laughs> they said, well, they've read it, and they want to publish it. So they did, and it became their bestseller. Hmm. And then came, you know, French, German, Chinese, right on down the line. And in most of those countries, this book has become their bestseller hmm. uh, in, the, in their country. You know, to me, it says that this is a universal need. We're made in God's image. We have a need to feel loved. And these five languages seem to be fundamental to all cultures. Now, I know that there's different dialects within the cultures, and sure. the manner in which you express these things will differ in different cultures. But it does seem that these five love languages are rather universal in, in human experience. So in your book... There are several accounts of how people have impacted by their experiences or lack of experiences of love. And every relationship has been shaped in part of what they've seen modeled or what they've experienced for themselves. This could include factors from family or their culture of origin. In our journey in walking alongside others in the Asian context, we've seen this play out in a lot of different ways. In fact, we've seen people see intimacy as not like the primary focus or a priority of a relationship. Some might say, yeah, I work hard. Like you were saying earlier, I work hard to provide for my family. I work hard to do the chores, but they, there might not be love. You know, I, I brought honor to my family through my marriage and upheld my family duty or expectations. Love means that what you said earlier, I've avoided shame and conflict. No. I do what I'm asked and I support my spouse's career. Isn't that enough? Like in the Asian culture, intimacy can sometimes not even be a priority and usually takes a back seat to functionality, honor, success, submission, and even security. In fact, we might not even have the imagination for anything more because all we've seen in our lives are a specific picture of what relationships and love should look like. 
So, Dr. Chapman, we want to ask, you know, what would be your first steps of walking alongside and working with others who have been shaped so deeply through family and cultural influences? What if intimacy may not even be a priority or even realized? Well, there's no question about it that all of our thoughts and our behavior are influenced by our culture. And uh, the kind of things that you're mentioning with Asian culture would mm-hmm. be true. Maybe of some other countries, some of those things would be true. Some of those sure. things wouldn't be true in other cultures. But we're all influenced by our culture. But, you know, as Christians, we're influenced primarily or should be influenced primarily by the Scriptures. And the Scriptures say that God is love. And we know that God loves us. But how does God express the love? Well, if you, began, if you look in the Bible, you'll see all five of these languages God speaks. We're made in his image, and we're reflections of that. And that's why what to me would be an expression of love may not be an expression of love to the other person, because we're both made in the image of God, but God is creative. No two of us are alike. So I think while we're influenced by cultural things, and the things you mentioned are certainly good and worthy things, nothing wrong with with those things being important. Mm -hmm. But the question is, underneath all of the external things that we do uh, in our marriages, how about the human heart? I mean, do they really feel close to us? Because the same thing's true with God. You know, you can be a cultural Christian and and not have an intimate relationship with God. Sure, yeah. You, you go, there's certain things you say, well, you know, I, I go to church, or I, I don't do this, or I do this, and I do that, and therefore I'm a Christian. Uh, well, you know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. You know, there's a cultural Christianity. It's what Christians typically do. But beneath the doing is the heart. Sure. And if the heart is not engaged with God, I'd say you're not really a true Christian. You're a cultural Christian. Mm. And so I think when it comes to love on the human level, we can also be doing all the proper things in our culture, but we may not be connecting to the heart of our spouse. Sure. And underneath all of that is the heart. And, and this need to feel loved is there, whether the culture affirms it or not or makes a lot of it, it's still there. Right, And when you do feel love, there's something deeper in that relationship. Mm. I want to ask a question, actually. Suppose I grew up in a culture where intimacy was not prized. What would be baby steps for me to grow in intimacy that could be manageable? I think, uh, in, as in most things, we have to take baby steps. And so if, if a person is willing to discover the love language of the spouse, and the two of them reveal it to each other, you know, acts of service is my love language, or words of affirmation is my love language. Maybe these things do not come comfortable for you. Uh, I remember the father, for example, who said to me, you know, because I wrote the book, The Five Love Languages of Children, and he said, Dr. Chapman, I know that my 10-year-old son's love language is physical touch, but my father never hugged me. I don't know how to hug my son. I don't know how to touch my son. Right, yeah. And I said, okay, stand here beside of me and hit me on the shoulder lightly. So he hit me on the shoulder lightly. I said, now that's your assignment for this week. I want you to go home and once a day, just walk in the room where your son is, hit him lightly on the shoulder and walk away. He came back the next week. I said, okay, now I want you to pat me on the back. (laughs) And he patted (laughs) me on the back. I said, now this week... I want you not only to hit him lightly on the shoulder, I want you to pat him on the back. Well, we took baby steps, and eventually he came to the place where he actually hugged his son, and when he did, he wept wow. because wow. he had broken through That's that powerful. boundary. Wow. You know? So I think in all of these languages, we, if we didn't receive them ourselves and they were not important for us growing up, 
we have to take baby steps to learn how to speak these languages. Mm. Wow, yeah. That is definitely something to chew on. (laughs) You know, one of the things that came out of a conversation that Paul and I were having last week was how do our past experiences affect us as pastors? On this podcast, there's a lot of pastors and leaders in ministry. And we're just wondering how do our experiences of love affect the way in which we pastor and minister to others in positive or negative ways? What would you say to pastors about identifying some of these things or unpacking some of these things, maybe even making aware of how it's been affecting their ministry? Well, I think as pastors, if we don't know anything about love languages, we do know that love is important because the scriptures teach that we're to be, the fact that others can tell we're Christians by the way we love. Right. But as a pastor, we would tend by nature to express our love to other people in our own love language. That is, whatever makes us feel loved, that's what we tend to do for them. So, for example, if words of affirmation was a pastor's love language, even though he didn't know the concept, he just knew that when he received words of affirmation, appreciation, he felt you know, appreciated. What he will probably do, he'll be really good at giving people affirming words. Wherever he goes, he'll be talking to people and talking about how wonderful and giving them, looking for things he can right. affirm them for. Okay, But it would never cross his mind, just by nature, to offer to do something to help that person, some act of service. He's expressing love to them in the way that he feels loved. And so I think, unaware of, of, the, of the five love languages, he would be touching some of the people's hearts. If, it was their, if, if words was their love language, they would be feeling love. But the others would say, you know, all the pastor ever does is just tell me how wonderful I am, you know. And he never has offered to help me. He knows how much, how many things, problems I have. Right. He's never offered to do anything to help me, you know. Because for them, love is doing something, you know, sure. to, help the pe- to help people. Uh, I think as pastors, we're, we're not always thinking about, you know, how to express love. But what I found is pastors who read the book and realized that there are these five fundamental ways to express love, They began to think in terms of, you know, wait a minute now. We are God's hands. We are God's voice to the people in our community. Mm. And so if we're going to reach people for Christ, maybe we ought to think in terms of finding out people's love, get to know them well enough to know what their love language is and express love to them in a language that's meaningful and Mm. teach our people how to do that. It has tremendous evangelistic implications. Sure. Because what I discovered, you know, I wrote a book called God Speaks Your Love Language. Right. And what I discovered is that many times the person's conversion experience is when God speaks their language. Like Saul on the road to Damascus. My guess is his language is physical touch because God struck him down. He, got, <laughs> he was blinded. His body was touched, you know. And, you, and you'll hear people say today, you know, I was sitting in a service and all of a sudden my body started shaking and I started weeping. And I felt God's arms around me. My guess is their love language is physical touch, and God knew how to touch them. Mm. But not everybody has that kind of experience. Right. So uh, I think if we are aware of that, we will not compare ourselves and our conversion experience to somebody else's conversion experience. Sure. And And then the other thing I discovered is once we become believers, we express our love to God in our love language. So if, if words is my language— then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use words to praise God and thank God. And look at Martin Luther, you know. He came to Christ when he read in Romans, the just shall live by faith. 
He'd been living by works all those years. Right, yeah. And he said, paradise broke in my soul when I heard the word. And so what did he do with his life? Words. He wrote hymns. He wrote commentaries. He, yeah, he wrote sermons. He, you know, uh, <laughs> he wrote so, 95 pieces. Yeah, he did. And nailed them to the door. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, I think understanding this concept in the church will help us be more effective in not only reaching people, but also helping people reach their potential in, in loving God. Wow. Yes. That is, that's big. You know, it's interesting hearing your conversation. I feel that when you mentioned our relationship with God, the love languages actually help us to be more holistic in our relationship with God and our mm. spirituality. Yeah. So it's vast implications for our spirituality, but also in terms of our missional context is that we're contextualizing the gospel yeah. Yeah. to where people are at. Right. So the right. love language, the application has powerful implications for how we do mission. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for that. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for this tremendous gift to the church. You know, the other factor in terms of our relationship with God is that we are creatures of habit. And so let's say that words of affirmation or that acts of service is my love language. Well, I'm the person that's going to volunteer first to work in the soup kitchen mm-hmm. because acts of service. I'm going to go down there and dip beans. And, and when I when I started doing that, you know, I, I'm looking up and seeing the man I'm dipping the beans for, and I'm seeing Jesus. Because I remember what Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Right. And so it's very meaningful to me. But 10 years later, I'm still going to the soup kitchen, but I'm not thinking much about God. I'm just dipping beans. It's what I do on Thursday night. And so it becomes mundane. It becomes routine. And the Christian life can be that way. It can become routine, and you're not even thinking about what you're doing. So what I say to people is, let's maybe... Speak some different dialects of your love language. In addition to working in the soup kitchen, maybe you could go rake leaves for someone or shovel snow for someone, you know, some other acts of service. Sure. And then maybe learn some of the other languages. They may not be comfortable for you, but I guarantee you when you speak them, you'll sense, ooh, God is in this, you know. Like physical touch may not be your love language. But you say, you know, I'm going to go to a a rest home, an assisted living home, people sitting there in wheelchairs, some of them can't even speak, and you walk by and they say, ooh, ooh, <laughs> you, re- you reach over and give them a hug, and they melt in your arms, and you sense that you're loving Jesus. <laughs> right. It's different, yeah. it's new, yeah. it's alive, and God intends our relationship with Him to be alive and vital. Yeah. You know, the picture I have in my mind right now is that this is the way God transforms us, to be having the posture of humility, intentionality, attentiveness. Also to consider that we don't want to negatively impact another person, right? Mm -hmm. As you said earlier, if we only understand one love language and that's the way we care for others or that's the way we lead our congregations, we could definitely be, you know, unintentionally uh, causing some harm because some people might feel that, oh, my pastor doesn't love me or my pastor is not there for me or... You know, my pastor is is not available or present <laughs> to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And, and that's a huge thing, right? That's a huge yeah. thing. And the picture in my mind really is just like God is transforming us, and then we are seeing people differently. We are acting differently. We are living differently. I just love that the, also the way you talk about it is an embodied spirituality. Yeah. It's very tactile. It's yeah. very earthy. Yeah. Practical. Very practical. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we are to be creatures of love. We are made in God's image, and God is making us more and more like Christ, into the image of Christ. Right. And if you, if you look at his life, he spoke all five love languages. 
He touched people. You remember when the disciples said, keep the kids away because this is an adult meeting? And Jesus said, <laughs> oh, no, bring the little children to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And the next mm-hmm. verse says he put his hands on them mm-hmm. and blessed them. He touched people. He touched the leper, people that we wouldn't touch. He touched people. You know, he gave words of affirmation. I mean, you, you just go down the line. He spoke all of these love languages, and he's our example. And God is, God is developing us so that we become more and more like Christ and we're learning how to reach out and touch people where they are, as you said earlier. And as we become more like Christ and as relationships become Christ-centered and Christ-like, how do you think that impacts the world? How does that impact the people around us? How does that help paint a picture of who God is and how he is working to, to restore and reconcile all things? Well, you know, we certainly have not reached the world by fighting the world. Whoa, that's a huge word. <laughs> that's, we've that's, tried, though. So we've tried. We've, we've tried, <laughs> tried that. We've tried that. And we haven't reached the world by condemning people. If we're going to reach the world, I think we're going to reach them by love. Oh, amen. Same way God reaches out and, and found us. You know, we, we reach out as his representatives to find people in love. And here's what I've found. Because the deep human need is to feel loved by somebody, to feel appreciated by somebody. Because when we don't have this, this is when we get into depression. This is when people mm. commit suicide. Yeah, Nobody sure. cares yeah. about me. Life has no meaning to me. But when somebody will take time to look at them, yeah. listen to them. Uh, I remember a, a friend shared a story of his encounter with a man on the street. And rather than just giving him a dollar bill or something, mm-hmm. he said, uh, I, I'm going to take you and get something to eat. And so they went to the restaurant, and the restaurant wouldn't let them in. He said, we, we, don't, we don't serve people like that. So he just ordered sandwiches, and they sat down outside and ate. And he started talking to the guy and said, tell me your story. And he looked him in the eyes, and they had a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, the man said to him, you're the first man who's ever looked me in the eye while I was on the street. Mm. You know, it's just taking time to recognize their humanity, that here is a person. It's not just a man on the street. It's a person. And so I think the more we become in tune with that reality, that every person we encounter in life is a person made in the image of God. And deep inside, even if they don't believe in God, they have a deep desire to feel loved, to feel that somebody cares about who they are. And when we show that kind of care, God can use that to touch that heart and ultimately bring them to Christ. I think that is a great final word to end off our episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Chapman, for thank your you, time. Thank you, Dr. Chapman. Well, oh, man. You. There's thank a lot you. to continue to unpack and think about how, how do we embody that in our lives. And thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening today. We really appreciate all of you guys, and we love hearing from you. So please leave us some feedback. Get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, or email. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. That really helps us get this conversation out. We love being able to engage this space and be able to invite others into it. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you later.